Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and from his Son, who on this night came to us to bring the sure and certain love of God wrapped in human flesh. Well, tonight we join our voices with the angels and with all the heavenly hosts, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. We give glory to God because his plan to rescue, redeem, and restore has come to pass in the birth of the Christ child. A king has come to earth, not wearing the usual garb of transcendent royalty, but rather the rags of everyday humanity. Not resting upon a throne so that all may see him in his unveiled glory, but laid in a manger, looking altogether ordinary and lowly, looking like you and me. You know, whenever we look at paintings of the nativity, artists often take liberties with how Jesus is depicted. He's unique in some way, right? He has a halo, or he has this kind of heavenly light beaming down upon him to set him apart. Now, this is all well and good. There's nothing wrong with this, right? We do this all the time. We do this with our songs. We, we sang the beloved carol just now about Jesus in the manger, no crying he makes. But let's understand that correctly. We sing that to suggest something about Jesus. Namely, that he did not partake in the type of crying that stems from human sinfulness. How about this line, which we're going to sing here in just a little bit. Radiant beams from thy holy face. What we mean by that is not that, you know, literal beams of light are shooting out from Jesus' face at his birth. What we mean by that is that God's favor shines upon us through our Savior who has come to earth. Here's my point. Jesus would not just have appeared human. He would have been fully human in every way except sin. He would have looked like any other baby boy. Whenever my daughter was born, she wasn't glowing. She was blue. Corey and I looked at each other and we knew something was wrong right away. We are no experts, but we figured it out pretty quickly. Or we had a hunch, you could say. And our hunch was confirmed whenever the, the, uh, the delivery doctor just got quiet, dead quiet, and then immediately called a bunch of other medical professionals to, to rush into the room. And they were there to administer emergency care. And it turns out our daughter wasn't breathing, which would explain her color. Now, just to give you a heads up, this story turns out totally fine. She is perfectly healthy five years later. But she scared us for a hot second there. Here's the part that I wanted to tell. Corey and I only got to look at our daughter for about 30 seconds before they whisked her away to the NICU. They bolted out of there so fast, we were looking at each other and wondering if this whole thing had happened. So I did what any father would do. I filled out whatever paperwork I had to, and I rushed down there as quickly as I could to see her and to be by her side. And when I got to the NICU, I saw what must have been 
70 to 72 newborns lining the walls of that place, all in their little plastic bins, each one getting the care that he or she needed. My heart was warmed by the sight, all these little ones. And then this strange reality dawned on me. I realized that all these babies, for the most part, looked the same. They all had the same smushed faces. They all had the same uh, fuzzy, oblong-shaped heads. They were all wearing the same clothes. There was no pink blankets and blue blankets and this sort of thing. And I thought to myself, I seriously had this thought, you know, if you paid me a million bucks right now to pick out my daughter in this room, I could not do it. I don't know which one she is. And so I kid you not, I had to read five or six wristbands to know which one was my baby. But I found her. There she is. Were we to see baby Jesus in that NICU, it would have been a similar situation. There would have been no halo, no heavenly light beaming down upon him, no supernatural feats of strength and cunning. You know, Jesus wouldn't have been just making his milk appear. He subjected himself to this state of complete dependence to be a creature as we are, yet one without sin. And why does he do this? He does this so that he might draw near to us, and not just draw near, but so that he would share with our humanity eternally. He came to partake of what we are, so that by his grace we might partake of what he is the divine Son of God who was with the Father in eternity past. Make no mistake, friends, that's who this baby is. But to human eyes, there's nothing that would designate him as such. It's why we depend on God's Word. We need God to tell us exactly who His Son is so that we may believe and receive the benefits of the Word made flesh, the forgiveness of sins, life, salvation. So our Old Testament reading that we heard earlier is like one of those identification wristbands that I had to read to find out who my daughter was. Only in this case, the wristband was crafted specifically for Jesus 700 years in the past before he came to earth. So I invite you to read that wristband with me so that we may know exactly who this baby in this manger is, that we may believe and receive all that he has come to give to us. Isaiah chapter 9, this prophecy is spoken to Ahaz, this idolatrous king of Judah who is enmeshed in an intense military conflict. I could give you the cast of characters and I could really confuse you with all the political alliances that are going on behind the scenes, but here is the basic choice that Ahaz was confronted with. Would he trust God or would he trust in the might of other nations? 
who would he throw his lot in with? He was stuck between a rock and a hard place. His options were limited. So God came to him through the prophet Isaiah to tell him that he did not need to repeat his pattern of idolatry. He did not need to throw his lot in with Syria and Israel who had formed an alliance and were secretly plotting against him. He did not need to push his blue chips in on Assyria either with their king, Tiglath-Pileser. Really cool name, by the way. Say it five times fast. Unfortunately, he would end up pursuing that option and it would lead to his downfall. That's a story for another time. But an offer was given to Ahaz. And it's the offer that stands to you today. Not just an offer, a promise. This offer, this promise that God made to Ahaz was nothing less than salvation. The promise that he makes to you today is the very same. God invites you tonight brothers and sisters, to push all your blue chips in on the center of the table and bank your entire life on this offer. He invites you to turn away from trusting in your idols, whatever it is, your bank account, your career, your health, your political party, your sports team, your hobby. Turn away from those things. Stop trusting in them. And trust in this. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Sure, it may sound foolish to the world. It may sound foolish to our sinful flesh. In the eyes of the world, this baby is like any other. But through the eyes of faith, we read the wristband. And here's what it says. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The baby in the manger bears the name Wonderful Counselor, not because he has come to be your life coach. You can get one of those just about anywhere. But here you have one who is the very wisdom of God wrapped in human flesh. The world may look at this baby in the manger and scoff, but, brothers and sisters, good news, God loves to use the foolish things of the world to bring shame upon the wise. It is God's wisdom to enter into a world held captive by sin and death to become incarnate, get this, to become killable, so that he may suffer and die in our place. Isaiah's prophecy said that it would be as on the day of Midian. The coming of Jesus would be like that time in the book of Judges when God raised up Gideon to deliver three of those Israelite tribes from a foreign oppressor with just a handful of men. This is the wisdom of God. This is the wisdom of God. To use weakness, to use lowliness, save and to redeem. Jesus' coming in the manger means that he is here to disclose to you the wisdom of God, to counsel you in his ways. 
he says to you, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. You read the wristband a little further down and it says, mighty God. Well, he sure doesn't look mighty. He looks rather helpless. And he doesn't look like a God. And therein lies the wonder of it all. Scripture tells us that in Christ, the, the whole fullness of deity dwelt bodily. In him dwells all the power and might of God who spoke all things into existence. The book of Hebrews says that he holds everything together, that Jesus holds everything together by the word of his power. He still manages to do that while he's lying in the manger. The reason that he appears as he does is because he has not come to use the power and the might of God against us, but to use it for us. He has come with the power of God to absorb all the evil which can be hurled at it until there's nothing left to hurl. He comes to be the God who bears in human flesh all your sins and all the judgment that goes with it so that you, who once insisted on walking in the darkness and counsel of your own idols, would be called to himself. The only God who is at the Father's side, He, the eternal Word of God, Jesus, has come to make God the Father known to you to shine the light of the Gospel upon you. You read a little further down and the wristband says, Everlasting Father. Always found that an interesting one. What kind of father? The father of the messianic age? The father of his people? As in those days, a, a king was always considered, had this paternal role in the life of his people. He was, the king was considered a father. But I would propose this interpretation. Those are well and good. I would propose this. I would submit this to you. He is the completion and fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Abraham was the father of many nations. That's what Abraham means. The father of many nations. But Jesus would be the everlasting father who would forever fulfill God's promise to bring blessing and salvation to the ends of the earth. And that's why Isaiah says something like this in verse 3. He says, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you with joy as at the harvest. This son who is given is the true son of Abraham who was born so that he may die and rise and thus bring to you Gentiles the promises of eternal life. And therefore he has increased our joy. And then finally, you read a little further down on the wristband, and it says, Prince of Peace. The son who is given is not only the son of Abraham, 
but also the son of David, the true king whose government would increase. What does his government mean? What does his reign and rule intend to bring to bear? Peace. Here was the answer for Ahaz amid his political turmoil, although he had refused to accept it. Here is the answer for you amid your turmoil, amid the chaos and the uncertainty that's going on in your life. But you will not be like Ahaz, who willfully rejected God's gracious offer. You will not be like Ahaz, who was eventually undone by his idols and buried in shame away from his fathers. Just as Jesus came to his disciples in the locked room on the day of his resurrection to speak peace to them, he has come to you to speak peace. Every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Where your garments are soiled in the blood of your own sins, where they are soiled in the blood of your neighbors, Jesus has come to take it away and to establish peace between you and your neighbor, peace between you and your God. He is the Prince of Peace. So this child, who looks like any other child, is unlike any other. He is God's answer to the helpless condition of human sin. In Christ, he has become helpless to give us the help that we need. In Christ, God has entered the NICU to be among us. To be like us. And yet, not to succumb to those sins which have brought upon us darkness and sorrow, but to overcome them. To call us into his light and into his joy. God invites you tonight. Push all your blue chips in on this baby. Look away from your darkness and into his lovely face. The face which now shines upon you in love and grace to the word of the gospel. Let go of your idols and in faith grab on to his infant hands. Those ones which would go on to be pierced for your transgressions. Those hands which would go on to rip you away from death's grip in his resurrection. You will find no other such as he. For if you read the very last line on his wristband, you will find there written your name. For he is the one whom God said is born for you given for you. In the name of Jesus, amen.